Well, hello and good morning, Watermark family and guests. My name is Jermaine Harrison, and I get to serve around here on the students team, specifically with um, junior high students in grades six through eight, uh, high school students, grades nine through 12, and college students. And our vision is that together we are guiding future generations to follow Jesus and be the church. And I am so excited for the opportunity and privilege to get to continue our playlist series this morning. And so I wanna invite you to grab your Bible, to grab your journal, and let's learn together. Um, just a little bit more about me. Like I said, I serve here on the students team, and I've been married for almost three years, and we have a seven-month-old son. So here's a picture of my wife, Hannah, um, and our son, Winslow. Um, yeah, thanks, guys. They're great. Uh, I love being... Uh, her, her husband and his dad, and it's an honor and a privilege. Also, I moved here to Dallas about 10, uh, 11 years ago, actually, to go to seminary, to attend Dallas Theological Seminary. I'm originally from Jamaica, if you're wondering where the accent is from. And um, man, it has been such a joy to get to be a part of this family here. And then in the middle of my seminary time, I wandered into Watermark in the spring of 2012. And I started volunteering with the student ministry um, for the, the, the last half of my time in seminary. And when I graduated in 2014, um, I came on staff here at Watermark and have been here ever since. And when, I, when it came clear, when it became clear that I was gonna be um, in Texas for the foreseeable future, I decided to do something that everyone should do that decides to live in Texas. So if you're new, um, if you're moving to Texas, or if you're planning on moving to Texas, I wanna encourage you to, to, to head on over to watermark.org slash news, fill out the how may we serve you section. That's one piece of advice. And the second piece of advice, which I took for myself, was to learn a lot about country music. So, in the summer of 2014, I was driving around my car at the time, a 1997 Mercury Grand Marquis, and I made a commitment. That whole summer, I was only going to listen to country music. And so my radio station in my car was only on one station, 99.5 The Wolf. Because... <laughs> <laughs> I heard some people do the wolf howl, that's great. Um, because I was committed, I wanted to learn more about George Strait and Brad Paisley and Tim McGraw, and I also wanted Jason Aldean and, and Luke Bryan and everything else that you think is not country, and everything in between. And it was an amazing experience. And out of that came um, one of my greatest works to date, a um, playlist a curated playlist that is appropriately named Jermaine Goes Country. Um, <laughs> and, and every time I listen to that playlist, it brings me back to the fond memories, the fun times of the summer of 2014. In fact, ever since then, I've made a similar playlist, not just country, all kinds of music for the different seasons of life. And it's always cool to just think about how music and memory are so tied together, right? That when you hear a particular song, it takes you back to a season in your life or an experience that you've had. And, and so that's a great thing about playlists where you hear the same songs maybe over and over again. But there's a challenge with creating playlists with your um, most favorite songs. Sometimes the songs that you loved so much that you played them all the time, every time you got in your car, maybe you even made that song your, um, your alarm ringtone to wake you up, and after a while, you just get tired of that song. 
And every time it comes on, on the radio or on your playlist, you just skip it. It's boring, I've heard it before. And you move on and that song that you once treasured and loved um, becomes overplayed and you're tired of it. And it's the joy that it used to bring, maybe it just doesn't bring it anymore. And I think that the psalm that we're gonna study today, the song that we're gonna study today, may fall into that category sometimes for us of being overplayed, of, you know, we've heard it before. You know, if you've been to a funeral, um, you've probably heard them quote or read Psalm 23. Um, famous rappers like Kanye and Coolio have rapped about this song. Um, our president, George Bush, um, even quoted Psalm 23 after the tragic events of um, September 11, 2001. If you've you know, watched movies and there's certain scenes where they've read, it, read that psalm in there, it is so familiar. It is so pervasive all around our culture. Even if you've never set foot into a, a church necessarily, you can probably recognize um, the, the words of Psalm 23. It's become all too familiar that it's lost its power and relevance in our lives. And I wish that wasn't the case because there's so much life altering and transforming and comforting truth in this Psalm. Because in Psalm 23, what we see so clearly is the character and the activity of God on the behalf of those who fully trust him. The character and the activity of God on the behalf of those who trust him. And so in a moment, I'm gonna read through Psalm 23, but I want us to spend a moment and pray and ask the Lord to show us afresh the truths that are recorded in Psalm 23. And as we read it, after we pray, I wanna invite you to, to, to look for, maybe even underline or highlight, you know, things that, sh that show and demonstrate the character of who God is and um, his activity in the lives of those who trust him. So let me pray and then we'll read Psalm 23. Lord, thank you so much for today. And thank you for this opportunity to learn from your word and to be reminded of your character and your activity on our behalf. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And so if, if you're not familiar with Psalm 23, it's a, a Psalm of David, the second king of Israel, who when the prophet Samuel came to his family's home to appoint the next king of Israel on behalf of God, he was out in the fields. He was tending to his flock. He was a faithful and good shepherd. Um, and he, he was overlooked by his dad, but he was not overlooked by God. He was a good shepherd, 
Um, and he knows a thing or two about what it means to be a good shepherd. It's hard to pinpoint exactly where in the life of King David or when um, he penned the words of Psalm 23. Many scholars believe it was right around the time where his son Absalom was trying to um, take over the throne from him. And so in this point in time, he's run, David is running for his life from his own son who is trying to steal the throne, the leadership of the nation of Israel from him. So things aren't going really great for David when he writes Psalm 23. And even in these tough experiences, he comes to a powerful conclusion that I hope you and I come to today and every single day. And it's this, God is a good shepherd and a gracious host who is fully committed and attentive to those who put their trust in him. God is a good shepherd and a gracious host who is fully committed and attentive to those who put their trust in him. Another way to say it is that if God is your shepherd, you are the object of his divine care and attention. He guides, he provides, and he protects in the most challenging circumstances. He goes before you into all that life, sin, and Satan will throw at you, and he offers you peace and joy and security all the days of your life because of the sacrifice of his own life. And so for the next few moments, we're going to um, walk through this familiar psalm and we're going to see how David sees God in his character and in his activity in the life of his um, flock, which hopefully, man, that all of us in this room and listening would come to realize the goodness of our shepherd and that he's a gracious host who's on our side. So Psalm 23, verse one, the first phrase David uses is, the Lord is my shepherd. And so this phrase, the Lord is my shepherd, is a statement that describes the character of God. If you wanna know what God is like, consider the life and the character of a good shepherd. Now what does a good shepherd do? A good shepherd purchases his sheep. A good shepherd puts his mark of ownership on his sheep. A good shepherd protects, provides, he goes before his um, sheep to care for them. He cares for those who are hurt or injured. He is willing to give up his very life for his sheep. And David reflects on this and is filled with joy that God, the Lord, is my shepherd. And Jesus picks up on this idea of, of being a good shepherd when he was here on earth um, in the words recorded in John chapter 10, verses 10 through 11 and verse 14. So those, those verses will be up on the screen. I'm gonna read them for you. John 10, 10 through 11 and verse 14. It says this, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I came, Jesus says, that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. And so Jesus is taking on this, this imagery, this role, this responsibility in, in his words in John 10. And I hope that you uh, hear it loud and clear that he's a good shepherd, that he gives his life, his very life for you, 
for his sheep, to invite you to be a part of his flock, to offer you care and provision through the ups and downs of sin and the brokenness in life. The Lord is my shepherd, David says. Is he yours? So the Lord is my shepherd is a statement that describes the character of God. And in that very phrase, I want to focus on a different word. We just focused on shepherd, and I want to focus now on the word my. And so the Lord is my shepherd is a statement of belonging, of trust, and obedience. And so for David, uh, the Lord wasn't just the shepherd or a shepherd. He was personal to him. He belongs to this shepherd. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I belong to him, I trust him, and I obey him. When I think of that idea or that concept of belonging to um, something special or someone special, um, this illustration or this idea comes to my mind. How many fighting Texas Aggies do we have in the room or online? That's exactly what I thought you would do. And the Aggie whoop is a subject of much debate, right? If you're not an Aggie, when you hear the whoop, you're annoyed, Um, you think they're obnoxious, and you're like, why are you doing this? Um, but if you are an Aggie, it's, it's, it's a rallying cry of a camaraderie of a community that we're all in this together. We all went to this amazing school, had an amazing experience, and we love being Aggies, right? This exclusive rally cry of a bonded community. Just the other day, um, we were in a staff meeting, and whoever was leading was like, hey, uh, are there any Arkansas Razorbacks in the room? And it was crickets. I don't know why, maybe they just don't feel good about saying woo pig suey out loud or whatever it is, or maybe they just don't have the, the same feeling of camaraderie and connection in community to their, to their school. But I have a hunch that while the whoop might be annoying or obnoxious, the reason why, part of the reason why at least, is because it, it demonstrates the camaraderie, um, the togetherness of a community. And the reason I share that is because there is something much more amazing than being a part of the community of Texas A&M or wherever else your loyalties lie. Like David the, 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 in the Psalm 23, he says that much more important than anything else in my life is that I have a good shepherd. And it's not just the shepherd or the shepherd over there, but he is my shepherd. I belong to him. He loves me. He cares for me. He guides me and he gave himself up for me and that is the most amazing special group to be a part of a sheep in God's flock because he's a good shepherd so the Lord is my shepherd is a statement of belonging and trust this is not just a shepherd or the shepherd but my shepherd I trust him I depend on him I look to him and it's a statement of obedience In other words, it's not just enough to know that the Lord is your shepherd. You know, we all want the benefits, I think, of Psalm 23, all of the blessings of having a good shepherd, but but some of us want the benefits and the blessings, and we skip over the fact that uh, we are to surrender and to live in daily obedience to this good shepherd, right? We want to experience the joys that the good shepherd provides while we maybe are rebellious, Um, and disobedient sheep, and that is not the way it should be. 
You see, if the Lord is your shepherd, you belong to him and you should live in a way, in the way that he calls you to. See, you can't expect the comfort of the shepherd if you're not going to surrender and submit your life to be shepherded by him, right? By spending time in his word, by praying to him, by going to the shepherd and asking him to show you the way you are to live. So this whole psalm hinges on that point. If you don't embrace and trust and believe in the idea that the Lord is my shepherd, that I belong to, that I trust, and that I obey, it doesn't matter what the rest of the psalm says. It's true because it talks about God's character and activity, but you might not experience it specifically in your life if you're a disobedient and rebellious um, sheep in his flock. And so I wanna submit to you this question. Man, is the Lord my shepherd? Not Not just something I'm around, but is he my shepherd where I have surrendered to him. Because if that's true, then the next statement that David makes will be true in your life. So he says, the Lord is my shepherd. And next he says, I shall not want. I shall not want. And that statement is a statement of contentment. Really, it summarizes the rest of the psalm in a phrase. David is basically saying, I have nothing to worry about because of who is in charge, this good shepherd. Now, it doesn't mean that my every wish will be granted. It doesn't mean that um, everything will go exactly how I plan for it to go and dream for it to go and maybe even pray for it to go, but rather that I'll have everything I need to live a godly life. And so verses two and three explain four activities of the good shepherd that that result in someone who has surrendered their lives to the good shepherd to conclude in contentment. Man, I shall not want. And and to illustrate this, I spent a lot of time uh, in this book that I'm about to share with you. I've read it before, and in preparation for this message, I was reading it again. It's a book that's called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23, and it's written by um, a shepherd named Philip Keller. He's a, the, he was the son of some missionaries to North Africa, and at a certain point in his life, he was a shepherd. And so he goes through this entire psalm talking about the character of God um, on display all throughout it. And so I commend it to you, and uh, he was helpful, or his book was helpful in preparation for this, this next segment specifically. And so Uh, The good shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And here are the four activities of the good shepherd. He makes me, first of all, he makes me lie down in green pastures. You know, think of the imagery that comes to your mind when you think of green pastures. It's, it's, It's lush, it's green. There's, you know, enough food to provide for all of the sheep, right? That's the idea, the imagery that comes to your mind. And in his book, uh, Philip Keller says this, green pastors did not just happen by chance. Green pastors were the product of tremendous labor, time, and skill in land use. He goes on to explain that what a good shepherd does is he goes ahead of his sheep and he, he plows the land, he pulls up the weeds, he plants uh, grass to help the, the, the sheep have an opportunity and privilege to flourish and eat good grass and, 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 and enjoy the experience and the blessing of being under his care. And so a good shepherd goes ahead of his sheep and prepares the way 
for him and for them. And so anything good that you and I experience, man, it's as a result of the fact that your good shepherd has gone ahead of you to prepare the way for you. Whether that be the job opportunity, the college you're in or gotten into, or the family or the relationship, or whatever it might be that comes to your mind when you think about, man, that is such a good gift that I get to experience and enjoy. It's not because of you. It's not because of your strength or your wisdom, but rather it is because of your good shepherd who has gone before you to prepare the way. The second activity um, of a good shepherd is much like the, the first. He leads me beside quiet waters. And so when you, when you imagine quiet waters, you think of uh, you know, vast amount of water for all of the sheep to, uh, to enjoy refreshment of their soul. And in the same way that the shepherd goes ahead of his sheep to make sure that there are green pastures for them to enjoy, in the same way he goes ahead to make sure that there's still waters. Because sheep have a hard time drinking water um, that is flowing really swiftly. And so the shepherd goes ahead and he blocks off the water so that the water that's flowing is still and the sheep can go to it and enjoy it. And so the idea being um, illustrated here by David is that, man, God goes before me. God goes before his sheep to make sure that they have everything that they need to enjoy the life and goodness that comes with being a part of his flock. God is always at work on your behalf because he's a good shepherd. And so he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. And the third activity of the good shepherd is he restores my soul. He restores my soul. And that idea of uh, soul restoration, it may mean spiritual renewal. It may mean repentance from sin. It may mean um, physical uh, restoration of health. And the, the job of the good shepherd is to make sure that his sheep are okay. And so when they're being um, attacked by other animals or infected by insects or maybe their wool is too thick, like the shepherd, the good shepherd does things to help make sure that that sheep or his flock, that their soul is renewed and is restored. And, and a lot of the times it's just not that um, pleasant, right? Soul restoration isn't always pleasant for the sheep. So to illustrate this, I want to share with you briefly something about my son. Here's another picture of him so you can have the, the mental imagery. He's happy. He loves his life. He just started eating solid food, and he's, he's loving all, trying all of these different things. Um, but he, just like him and most babies, uh, they get sick all the time, and their nose gets stuffed up. And when their nose gets stuffed up, they don't understand that they need to go get a napkin and blow their nose out and go back to bed. So instead, when they can't breathe through their nose, they wake up and they cry loudly at 2.30 a.m. or 4.30 a.m. Like, like he did this morning. And, and they're waking up uh, us as the parents because he needs help. He needs assistance. He can't rest and be at peace because he can't breathe. And well, have I got the solution for you. 
As soon as some of you see this, you're like, I know exactly what that is. And some of you are like, what? This is a nose Frida. I'm sure there are many other products just like it. But if your baby's nostrils are clogged up um, and they can't enjoy rest, here's what you do. You take the nose Frida, you put this end into their nose, you put this end into your mouth, and you suction out all of the mucus from their nose. Yes, it's gross. Yes, it is. But don't worry, there's a long tube so it won't ever get to your mouth and everything's fine. But while we're using the nose, Frida, he is crying, he is screaming, he is flailing, he's annoyed. He's like, what are my parents doing to me? You know? And so he cries, he flails, he's frustrated, he's annoyed, he's screaming, and we're suctioning out the mucus. And after we're done, you know what happens? His soul, some would say, is restored. <laughs> and he goes to sleep, and so do his parents. And it's amazing. And the reason I share that is that I think in a room this size and with people watching or listening, that there are many of you that are going through uh, nose Frida-like situations. Something that's really annoying something really frustrating, something where you ask, man, God, why is this happening to me? Why are you allowing this to happen? This is so painful. This is so difficult. This has shattered my world, whatever it might be. And part of my answer to that is, I don't know. I don't know why the good shepherd is allowing that uh, particular event to happen to you. And part of the answer is, I do know that he's a good shepherd who is committed to your soul's restoration. And sometimes the hard things, the difficult things that we're enduring that are annoying and frustrating, at the end of it, our souls will be restored. Because he's a good father, a good shepherd, who cares for his sheep. And so um, he makes me lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside quiet waters, he restores my soul, um, and the fourth activity of the good shepherd is that he leads me in the paths of righteousness. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. If you've ever heard a sermon um, you've prob on, on, on Psalm 23 or about sheep, you've probably heard this idea that sheep aren't the most smart animals in the world and they need lots of help. They, they need lots of guidance and attention. And I have a video to kind of illustrate that um, about us, it won't be able to see it online, and so I'll just uh, narrate it as it happens. And so here we have a sheep. He's stuck in a ditch. He's hurting, there's so much pain. He wants to be free. Um, his shepherd, if you will, is helping him out of this difficult situation of being in a ditch. He's free, he's loving life. He's like, let's go. <laughs> and he, the sheep, after being freed from this difficult scenario, runs right back into the very same ditch. Here you have it in slow motion, in case you missed it <laughs> the first time. Um, and that's so funny, truly. But that's me, and that's you. All of us, Isaiah 53, 6 says, all of us like sheep have gone astray. Left to ourselves, we choose our own paths, and those paths endanger ourselves and the lives of others. 
Isaiah 53, 6 again says, all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And let me say something really quickly. Our culture is all about, right now, all about going your own way. Follow your heart. You know, you do you. Do what makes you happy. And we see clearly from scripture that when we do that, now we end up hurting ourselves and hurting others. But rather we have a good shepherd who wants to lead us in the paths of righteousness. I love how the, at the end of uh, Isaiah 53, 6, after it says each of us has turned to our own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity, all of our running away and doing our own thing, to fall on him, our savior, who stood in our place, to lead us in the path of righteousness. Then he goes on, David does, to um, verse four. We'll spend a little bit of time and then we'll wrap up. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. So when it comes to a shepherd and his sheep, the valley of the shadow of death is the dangerous journey between places of grazing. So think of, you know, the, the shepherd and the sheep are in, this, are in these green pastures with still waters and it's amazing. And when it's time to move on from there to get to another place of flourishing with green pastures and still waters, you got to go through the valley. And in the valley, there are jagged cliffs, there are wild animals, there's no sun as the shadow of the mountains um, kind of blocks out the light. Hence that analogy or that word picture of the valley of the shadow of death. And many of you might be going through in your life what feels like the valley of the shadow of death. It might be, you know, cancer or extreme migraines or the passing of a loved one or a miscarriage or developmental hurdles with a child, or COVID, or loneliness, or multiple back surgeries. And that's just a list from people I know, from my friends, from my family, going through the valley of the shadow of death. But David gives us a solution or a help in the midst of going through the valley. He says the reason to not fear isn't because you're good enough or strong enough or smart enough or have enough um, resources to get yourself through. He says that the reason that I can endure and walk through the valley of the shadow of death is because the good shepherd is with me every step of the way. So to illustrate this, as I was researching and reading in preparation, I, I read this amazing story of a pastor and his name is Donald Gray Barnhouse. He was a pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia and he lived from 1895 to 1960. And his first wife had suddenly passed away and they had just had a funeral service for his wife. And, and as he was leaving and he hopped in his car with his young children, he was trying to think of a way to um, bring them comfort and peace and hope as they were walking through literally the valley of the shadow of death. And here's what he says, I'm gonna read a little bit for you. As he tried to conjure up words of comfort, 
the shadow of a large van passed over their car as they were driving down the highway. Instantly, Barnhouse thought of the words needed for the moment. Children, would you rather be run over by a truck or by its shadow? The children quickly answered, well, of course, Dad, we'd much rather be run over by its shadow. The shadow cannot hurt us. Then Barnhouse replied, the truck of death ran over the Lord Jesus 2,000 years ago so that only its shadow now passes over us. That is all that has happened to your mother. Only the shadow of death has passed over her. She is unharmed in heaven. What an incredible illustration of the fact that wherever you are in life right now, whatever hardship that you are enduring, however you might feel that you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death with hurt, with pain, with broken relationships, with illness, with whatever challenges you're enduring, that you are only experiencing a shadow because because the God of the universe sent his son Jesus to live and to die on the cross, holding all of the pain and the difficulties that you have and will ever experience so that you will only experience a shadow of the pain today and that one day all of the sadness and the, and the pain and the sickness and death will be no more because of our good shepherd, yeah. And so even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the good shepherd is with you. And his rod um, defends you against enemies and his staff preserves you against the challenges in life. And so, so far we've seen God as a good shepherd. And then in verse five, we see David like switch over to another um, example to describe the character of God um, as a gracious host. And when we think of a gracious host, we think of someone who, you know, uh, puts together an amazing dinner table. Everything is set perfectly. Um, it looks beautiful. When you go over to their house for a dinner or a party or whatever it might be, you're like, can I live here forever? Like that, that gracious host. And whoever you're thinking of right now, man, God is infinitely more gracious. And if you're going through, walking through the valley of the shadow of death, I, I pray that verse five offers you comfort. It says this, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And so in a chaotic scene, you're surrounded by sin and the brokenness of this world, the challenges you're experiencing, and your good shepherd is a gracious host. And he prepares a table, prepares a meal for you while all of that is going on. He doesn't remove the enemies but he's there to see you through it. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. In other words, you refresh me, you restore me, and my cup overflows. Think of eating dinner and your favorite sparkling water is always on tap and it's not running out. You have way more than you'd ever need. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. And so David just comes to a conclusion that I hope we all come to. Man, surely goodness. Surely the very presence of God 
And surely his mercy, his steadfast love, even when I run away and go my own way, surely his goodness, surely his mercy shall follow me and not in a, like a, a hesitant way. It'll chase after me. Surely his presence will be with me. Surely his steadfast love will be with me throughout all of life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Man, what a, what a comforting reality that the very presence of God is always with you. That is steadfast love is always with you, no matter what you experience, no matter what you encounter. And so God is a good shepherd and he's a gracious host who is fully committed and attentive to those who put their trust in him. And so I ask one more time as we wrap, is the Lord your shepherd? Not just a shepherd, not just the shepherd, not just a good idea, but the shepherd that you have surrendered your life to, that you belong to him, that you trust him, that you walk in obedience with him every single day. Because if that defines you, you'll get to experience the goodness of a good shepherd and a gracious host in the highs, the lows, the ups and downs of life. And what a privilege it is to have that God on our side. Let me pray that that would be true. Lord, thank you so much for the words of Psalm 23. And thank you for the, the reminder of your character and your activity on the behalf of those of us who fully trust you. And God, I pray that everyone listening will fully trust you. Wherever they are in relation to you, I pray that this moment would be a defining moment. I pray that this song, Psalm 23, would be a defining song in their life. That they would see and experience and know that you're a good shepherd who willingly gave your life up for your sheep. And that they would see and experience and know that you're a gracious host. That in the midst of the challenges of life, that you're with their, them, preparing a table before them, anointing their head with oil, providing them with the Holy Spirit to walk through and endure um, whatever they're going through, and that your goodness and your mercy follows them all the days of their life. I pray that that truth, those truths, will be embraced, trusted, rested upon, meditated upon by everyone listening. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.